Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIConf.com. In this episode of The Data Show, I speak with Tim Kraska, Associate Professor of Computer Science at MIT. We live in the age of big data, so to take advantage of big data, we need scalable, fast, and efficient database management systems or data management systems. The people who administer these systems often find themselves tasked with building index structures, indexes in database parlance. These are structures which are needed to speed up data access. So the key insight of Tim Kraska and his collaborators are that these indexes are actually models or mappings. So for instance, the very popular blue filter can be thought of as a classification problem. So if you think of it that way, uh, Kraska and his collaborators then approach indexing as a learning problem. So then they started using machine learning to build these indexes, which in the past were basically the domain of experts. So I've worked in situations where you would have an administrator carefully implement an indexing strategy. So the other good thing about what uh, Tim Kraska and his collaborators did is that uh, the indexes they came up with were smaller and they account for the distribution of the underlying data. So this ties to a larger theme, which is the use of machine learning to improve software systems and even software development. So looking ahead to the future, uh, maybe we'll have database administrators who have machine learning tools at their disposal, and this will allow them to manage larger and more complex systems and free themselves to focus on complex tasks that are harder to automate. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Tim Kraska of, I guess, soon to be MIT. Welcome to the data show. Thank you. So I think I first met you at the first AMP camp in 2012. So AMP camp was the uh, kind of the conference put on by AMP Lab at the time. And AMP Lab, of course, uh, originated Apache Spark. And interestingly enough, of all things, you were talking about crowdsourcing. And then I know your background is data management. And at some point, you ended up uh, spending some time at Google. And so now we're going to talk about today mostly about machine learning and deep learning. So you've had quite a journey here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Normally, I always like the problems which like put some new perspective on an old problem. And when we met in 2012, we explored like on how crowdsourcing can help us data cleaning tasks. So that was like one new resource we suddenly had available people. And that was the goal there. So in general, this is like the problems I like to work on. So you were at Google on a sabbatical, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And at some point, you started working on some of these kind of problems from data management, which in particular would be uh, index structure. So first of all, Tim, uh, at a high level, uh, describe what index structures are and why they're important for databases. Yeah, so index structures are um, a way to provide efficient data access. So like every single database system uses index structures to speed up query processing. So just think about if you want to search for a certain customer, even if the data is sorted, you need to do like a 
binary search or some other search algorithm over the entire data set until you find the customer you're looking for. And index structures is just like a structure on top of it which speeds up the search process by quite a bit, mostly by means of like being more cache efficient, more compute efficient. And in fact, I think uh, uh, I'm old enough to remember back in the day when you know, we were using classical, classic relational database management systems, you'd inevitably have some expert, either a DBA or some expert user would come in and basically uh, uh, index the right columns in the right tables and suddenly everything would run faster. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's correct. So normally like index structures, they are help up to speed up the query processing, but at the same time, they also use up a lot of space. So creating the right indexes is just like one of the key challenges. So now the other, uh, the other setting where the word index comes up, and I think some of our listeners may actually uh, be more familiar with indexes in this setting, is search, right? Uh, right, yeah. So uh, you mean like search in the sense of like finding something in a data set? Or, or yeah, 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 search index. The search index, yeah. So like most indexes are just for efficient search over a data set. And there are different types of indexes. Uh, for example, B-trees are usually used if you want to be able to search for a certain range uh, of data items. For example, you are all uh, interested in all the records or all the orders from yesterday to today. So this would be a range of records you're looking up and B-trees are normally used for that. In contrast, hash maps are often used for like point lookups. So you're looking for a specific customer. And it says, uh, the hash maps have the advantage that you don't need to sort the data up front. Uh, and then there are bloom filters or existence indexes, which just like is a very compressed form of an index, which lets you allow to probe if like if something exists in the data set, but not find it. Like you use it, for example, to ask, does this customer exist in my database? And this should be provide even like faster access and like with, with less storage requirements. So uh, let's put, uh, your work is set in uh, kind of uh, the correct setting here. So let's say, for example, I'm a user in a database which has a bunch of tables, and someone comes in and and, and builds indexes. So uh, so that's available as a utility in the database that I'm using. So what exactly did you set about uh, redoing? So like indexes have been around essentially since like databases or data structures have been invented. And it's just like, it's like everybody learns about tree structures uh, when they start to study CS. And they're used like really widely, not just in databases, just in general, to make data access more efficient. So it's a very well-studied problem. The realization we had is just like that with like machine learning, actually we can change on how these indexes work to something completely else, which even in some cases changes the complexity class of, for example, a lookup. So this is like the, the main thing uh, It's like we found a new way in order to build them, which is in some cases much, much faster. And also the indexes are much smaller. So let's just look ahead. Let's assume for the sake of argument that what you did actually is the right approach. So then uh, for a user of a database, how would this play out? So for a user of, of a database, like ideally, it wouldn't make any difference. Like it's completely transparent to them what type of indexes they use. However, because now the indexes are much smaller, you can potentially, hopefully in the future, index essentially everything, so everything becomes faster. Also, because we, for some types of data distribution, we change the complexity class, it means like that something which was in log n so far might now be a constant operation. So again, it becomes 
complete different story. So the key insight in the paper, it seems like to me, is that uh, this notion that indexes can be learned somehow, right? Right. So like the, the key ideas, and I, let me just explain it in, as an example on the B tree. So if you have a B tree data structure, it requires log and space. So this is like how big the tree is. And every lookup requires log n operations. So this is like the time it takes to traverse the tree uh, to find something. So this is independent of the data you actually have. So now in Vision, for example, you know that you only want to index keys which have the values from 100 million to 200 million, continuous keys in that range. So if you would now use a B tree over them, you still require log n space and log n operations for looking something up. However, if you know that you only index the keys from 200 million, well, 100 million to 200 million continuous keys, you could approximate that by just having a slope and an intercept. And just by using the offset, you can immediately find the key. So looking something up by knowing the data distribution means that you can now do it in O of 1. And the only thing you need, actually, is like you need to remember two values, the slope and the intercept, which is just like a regression model. So this notion that uh, indexes are mapping, that can be learned. I guess uh, one question for someone on the outside is, uh, how come no one has tried this before? <laughs> That's a very good question. So I think it used to be the case that, again, like if you know that you have the, the key distribution, for example, to 100 million, 200 million, you could leverage that, but you need to build a very specialized system for that. And then if the data distribution changes, you need to, to adjust the whole system. At the same time, like any learning mechanism was in the past way too expensive to do it. So now actually the, the game changed a little bit because like compute is becoming much cheaper and suddenly like using machine learning to train this mapping actually pays off. So on one hand, like, like I always say, like in the past, the V3 structures, they're, they're composed of a whole bunch of if statements and multiplications were very expensive. Now, multiplications are getting cheaper and cheaper because scaling if statements is pretty hard, but parallel math operations is like at least relatively easier. That we can trade this like if statements for multiplications, and that's actually why suddenly this like learning the data distribution pays off. So, again, so now uh, we implement your uh, ideas in a uh, database. And so, before, like you said, uh, indexes were expensive, so you were selective. In fact, uh, that's one of the reasons there were these specialist people who were good at kind of the index strategy. So now you can be a little more, I guess, the word is careless about indexing because your uh, new index structures are much more efficient. So does that mean that in many ways you've kind of automated this kind of task of what used to require some specialist knowledge? Right. So that now it's like this is a bit of a speculation into the future because currently this is like an idea and it still needs to be implemented into systems. However, it's just like it's first of all, it's true that now suddenly you can be much more careless about what you are indexing. So we saw like compression rates up to two orders of magnitude using that idea. The other big advantage of this idea is like suddenly can shift parts of the workload to the GPU, which wasn't possible before, or not easily possible at least. So for example, like if you have a traditional database system, which all these like traditional data structures, most of it has to run on a CPU and the performance on a GPU is like, is not as great. At the same time, GPUs are scaling much, much faster right now in the amount of compute they can provide with every iteration. So now by shifting 
things from the traditional data structure, which is based on if statements, to something which is much more based on multiplications, we actually can take advantage of the GPUs. And therefore, I think in the next version of learned indexes or learned index structures, uh, we will see more advantages because we can take advantage of this like new hardware coming up, like the NVIDIA GPUs and, and others. So let's... Uh... Before we go into a little more about uh, some of the details of uh, of how you actually do the learning, uh, at a high level, what are some of the uh, performance numbers against some of the benchmarks you cited, like uh, B trees, uh, Bloom filters, and hash maps? Right. So um, overall, like we used several real world data sets and we compared learned indexes. So where we have a like an index which is based uh, based on a machine learning model with like the really highly tuned cache efficient implementation of the traditional data structure. And for B-trees, for example, we saw speed ups uh, up to 2x roughly. So it's like twice as fast. However, the indexes were up to two orders of magnitude smaller. Very nice. What about for the other ones, Bloom filters and hash maps? So Bloom filters and hash maps are a little bit more tricky, but we also still like, like tremendous advantages. For example, in the case of hash maps, the biggest problem is like to build an efficient hash map is um, are collisions. Like on how often is like the same key mapped to the same position inside the like the memory are allocated for the hash map. And by learning again like a model, we can avoid these collisions. And we saw improvement again like around like 30%, I would say. In the case of Bloom filters, Bloom filters is just like the question if something exists in a set. And we trained uh, classifiers for that. It's like one approach of the two approaches we present on the paper. And we saw improvements of like up to 50%. Of course, all these numbers depend highly on the like data you have, on the data distribution, which we can actually learn. As better the data distribution can be learned, the bigger the benefit. So you used the word learning and uh, learning a distribution. And of course, this work was done at Google. So immediately people will say, well, that must be deep learning. <laughs> so so what is the role of deep learning in this work so i wouldn't call it deep learning but we use neural nets as well why not just they... use logistic regression man? <laughs> <laughs> we, we also use linear regression for like the regression problem so essentially if you have a neural net uh, without any hidden layers you you pretty much end up with uh, linear regression so like we use like for performance reasons we use very very small models and then we created this like expert type of model structure, which allows us to create like to overfit the data as much as possible. That is also an interesting observation because in our case, overfitting is actually a good thing, not a bad thing. So then, uh, how hard is was it to to build these models to learn to learn these uh, indexes? I mean, so for example, so, the reason I asked that, right, for people who use deep learning in other settings, it's choosing the architecture and tuning the parameters that that becomes the hard thing so in this case you're right. talking about simpler models so how much uh, how much machine learning do you need in order to build uh, knowledge how much machine learning knowledge do you need in order to build these indexes so like uh, so currently it's still a research prototype but we are working on a like in academia at MIT right now on a new version which completely automates the process, meaning you just give it a data set and it would build an index for you. And some of the other beauty of it is that um, the So this is a, so the way you describe that, people will say that sounds unsupervised. We have all the it is unsupervised because we have all the labels, right? Like the only the, the interesting thing about it is 
We only care about the data which is stored in the database system. So in the end, what we want to do is like given some search query, some key, we want to find where the data is stored. So the only thing we care about is the data we have, and we know how it is stored. So we have all the labels. I see. Right, right, right. right? So it's like it's a much simpler problem. And uh, now the big question comes only like on how, what model can we build in order to perfectly fit the data we have? So therefore, I'm saying overfitting is a good thing because often we, we want to find the data as quickly as possible and therefore like overfitting is getting the error down as much as we can has advantages. Just that said, only for inserts, there are like generalizability actually becomes important, which is a topic on its own. Right, 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 right. So as I understand it, as I skimmed the paper, uh, what you've done is mostly for a kind of analytic workloads, right? So not 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 the kinds of uh, systems where you have a lot of inserts. Right, right. So so far we mainly focused on like read-only queries, so like this immutable data structures, and then we assume from time to time you update everything. This is quite common in data warehouses and other systems. However, like I think there might be also an advantage for inserts, and that like that's a very common question, like how does perform if you have a lot of inserts. But let's assume that the inserts you have follow roughly the same distribution than what you have learned. Then you don't need to retrain your model, and inserts also become faster. Interesting. What about, okay, so you looked at B-trees, but uh, I think, as I remember, as I recall, I'm not in the field, but uh, for example, towards the end of App Lab, they started talking about these notions of succinct data structures, mm-hmm. those seem to encode the distribution. So like succinct data structures is just like normally how they're defined is like they try to compress the data as much as they can without penalizing the performance necessarily. However, like they, they play, like, I think the closest there is like probably wavelet trees, which does also some decomposition. However, they are normally not trying to learn the distribution and normally they aim for the same performance, whereas we saw like, like even increased performance speed ups while being able to compress by quite a bit, or quite more, right? Like two orders of magnitude. Uh, the other thing is with succinct data structures is uh, normally the way on how they do the compression is like very different from what we are doing. So we are completely distribution-based. And again, to uh, cite this example of like storing the keys from 100 million to 200 million, we would just learn the slope and the intercept. If you have a normal distributed data set, again, we can very efficiently represent it in a really small model. If you have some more complex data sets, like again, neural nets are pretty good in approximating it. So it's a different approach to, I would say, succinct data structures. So we talked about neural nets and deep learning, but actually, uh, is it fair to say that in many ways, it, what you've done is basically apply machine learning. So it, in the future, you, it, the algorithm may not even be deep learning. That's completely true. Yeah. So it's like it's a general thing and any type of machine learning model you could use. Uh, in fact, often this like more simpler models pay off more, at least in our current setting on the CPU, because they are cheaper to compute. Neural nets, like the, the main reason why we tried them out first is they have this nice property that without a lot of like feature engineering, they are pretty good at overfitting. And as said before, overfitting is one of our goals. Going back to hardware, what's the role of hardware in the setting? So for people who are familiar with deep learning, right? So there's there's two aspects to it. There's the training and inference. So you, you might need different hardware for both of those, right? So you may need, uh, oh, you may use different hardware for inference because it, it, it's, uh, it, it's different than, uh, than training. So what exactly do you mean by GPUs and TPUs in this setting? What are you doing? 
So currently, like what we presented in the paper is only focused on CPUs. We even didn't try GPUs or TPUs so far uh, for the paper. So they're, they're, we don't have like the numbers included in that. However, we believe that in the moment you would like include the learned indexes on a GPU or TPU, you can even achieve even higher like uh, throughputs uh, in lookups of that time. Oh, I see. So once you, uh, once you learn once once you learn the index and start using them, uh, you can have a GPU or D TPU database at that point. Is what you're saying? Right. Like, so essentially, like you can use it for training the index as well as for serving the index. It was it works both ways. So is this an uh, is this an area where ASIC will eventually uh, emerge for databases? Yeah, like one of the um, key challenges, like for using GPUs and TPUs, is definitely the time from this, like invoking something from CPU on the GPU or TPU for these types of applications, because the latency often we are talking about are in the range of nanoseconds, uh, not microseconds. Right? So there's like there's it's a different like latency game we are playing. And as close as we can get the computation to the CPU, like the more advantages you will get from this like learned index idea. But at the same time, I strongly believe that GPUs, TPUs is like the future for it, as their scalability and how many operations you can perform freezing so fast that like by having now the ability to take advantage of these new hardware trends, I think is, is something we have to do. We have to try. Staying with indexes and in the specific types of indexes that you looked at in this paper. Put on your uh, prognosticator hat. So how will this play out in five years? <laughs> <laughs> will, this be will this be more prevalent and common? So, um, of course, I'm highly biased because I'm one of the authors of the paper. <laughs> right, right, right. No, but b based on the reaction, I think that uh, people are super excited about this stuff, right? Yeah, that, that, that's true. So, like, so I think like, one of the key insights of this paper is like, if you know the data distribution, you can design a system very differently. Right? So knowing the data distribution, for example, a lookup doesn't have to be in a sort of array log n anymore. You can do it in O of 1. So there are, there are many of these things. In the moment you know the data distribution, you can take advantage of it. And actually, my belief is it has implications of the whole entire database stack. From the query optimizer, for example, like one of the key challenges in the query optimizer is like cardinality estimation. Like, so if you do a certain selection over some data, how many items do you get back? This or, is very or, yeah, and and even even uh, joints and sorting, right? Correct, like cardinality estimation for joints. Like this is a hard challenge overall. So now, if you know the data distribution, this becomes like almost trivial. Similar, like you have ideas on how to speed up sorting using a similar idea. If you know the data distribution, you can do sort like uh, faster than potentially n log n. It's just like a form of radix sort. It's like explained in the paper roughly on, on how we think about it. Similar, if you know the distribution compression might become a different game. Of course, all, all of this depends on how well you can learn the uh, data distribution and how expensive the model is in the end. So while I don't have a definitive answer on them, I think the potential is pretty high. And so since you've released the paper, have there been other database communities who have reached out to you? So I know, for example, Probably inside Google, people are examining using these ideas, right? So, but are there other database groups who have reached out to you? So, like, um, we we heard quite a bit of like interest right now in the idea from various sites, and uh, like, I'm I'm very happy to see that. Of course, this idea takes off and it becomes like integrated into products. I would love to see that happen, and I think there's a good chance for that. And so, so you're saying that uh, you think 
so you got the papers about indexes. So we're speculating that this sort of ideas can map into query optimization, joints, and sorting algorithms. But uh, you're also saying that uh, you can you see uh, you see this playing out even in non-analytic workloads. Right. I, I think it's like it, it's uh, as said like if the new data items follow roughly the same patterns, distributions as what you have trained your model for then even inserts might become faster operations, right? So, like, I wouldn't exclude that, um, like, really more transaction-heavy workloads cannot even also benefit from this idea. Uh, similar, like, indexes are used in database systems heavily, but there are also other applications where indexes are used, and maybe even there a similar idea is usable. Yeah, like um, I said, I, search, right? Uh, search in general, for sure. I just had like a, an interesting conversation about might it be possible to use a similar idea in um, network routers. Interesting. I mean, I guess uh, going back to this notion of automation, so you're you're basically going to automate the task of building indexes, and then presumably, I guess even if if your ideas map out to these other aspects of databases, maybe even the tuning of databases, right? The tuning, I would consider a different optimization problem. Like the databases will still have a lot of parameters, and how to tune them, you could again use a neural net for yeah, doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is actually true of any kind of complex piece of software. Right. There's right. so many knobs you have to turn, right? So uh, right. think about Spark or Kafka right. or any of these things. It's right. crazy that uh, that we're not using machine learning to do this. Right, and I think like so, people started to explore this like more and more on how to use like uh, machine learning to tune different knobs. I think like the idea of like learning indexes though is like that we use machine learning to enhance like traditional data structures and algorithms. Right, right. So, right? The, so the, like, the, the the way you the way you actually uh, it's almost like uh, maybe this is wrong, but it's somewhat related to how you store the data. No. Yeah, it's like right. So like, um, so this is like you're asking a good question there. It's like this is almost the, the next step. It's just like, would it be possible that we co-optimize how the data is stored and how you find it? Yeah, because basically, yeah. if if you have a column in a database and then you index it, it's almost like the index is an alternate representation of that column, right? Yeah, it's like right. You you could definitely co-optimize the two, um, and maybe then it's like it's again like a different ball game. So we thought about that, and I, I think there's a lot of potential there that you like train the, the co-optimize the storage format, like for example the sorting of the data, and then also the index structures on how you find it. And so one of I guess one of the things that uh, I'm not clear on is so suppose I have a uh, database with thousands of tables and thousands of columns. What about the time it takes to build these indexes that you have to learn? Are, did, is it comparable to the traditional indexes, or does it take longer? Right. Um, so, like, it, it highly depends on what type of model you are using. Um, so, for like really complex machine learning models, um, particular neural nets models, we tried them out, and of course, the learning time was like pretty high. Particularly, we were also using TensorFlow, which was designed to train really large models and not like the smaller ones. So even the overhead TensorFlow had was like in addition to that. The most of the numbers we present in the paper actually use like very small models, which are in this like expert tree structure. And uh, those to train with is like pretty fast because like most of them are very similar to um, like linear regression models. And 
a simple linear regression you can train in one scan over the data. Uh, so like the training time is actually comparable, I would say, for the really simple models. Of course, it's more complex you go, the higher becomes the training time, and the more probably you should use something like GPUs or TPUs like to, to offset this cost. But uh, the scenario that you painted earlier is that these indexes will be trained periodically, maybe like once a day right. or something, right? Right, yeah. So like, so therefore, like if you train them once a day, normally it's like additional time you pay for it, like it doesn't really matter uh, because you benefit, you benefit so much from the smaller size of the index plus the faster lookup time. So for those of us who don't follow uh, bleeding edge database research, so how does this compare with state-of-the-art indexes? Did you benchmark yourself against the state-of-the-art indexes? Yes, like the, the index we use is actually like it's a really good, highly optimized cache-aware index. It doesn't use uh, pointers, it's compressed. So it's like it's compressed in the sense of like there, there's no free space. So it's like it's a pretty good comparison point. In addition to that, we also benchmarked into, uh, against other state-of-the-art implementations, for example, FAST, and we didn't find like that the FAST implementation was necessarily faster than what we used. So the like I think the technique can really hold up against like state-of-the-art techniques. So looking ahead uh, for yourself personally for the next 12 months, what are you going to be working on in this area of learned index structures? So one thing I'm very interested in is like to create a multidimensional learned index. So like, currently what we do is just like we build one index at a time for every single attribute we want to index. What you're often interested in is just like, for example, ask for all the customers uh, living in Massachusetts uh, with a salary uh, above like some certain threshold. Yeah, yeah. So you, you would index like uh, several columns simultaneously. Correct. Yeah. And um, the question is like, how do we build this multidimensional index? Might it be even possible that we build one giant index which covers it all so that you have one index and you don't need to build anything else? And I think like there are a lot of like technical issues to make that work, but um, to some degree I have hope there because machine learning or particular neural nets are really really good in like capturing like highly dimensional data. Right, so this is like where they really shine. And I think multidimensional indexes might be one of these areas where the only question in my mind is then does that mean you have to take the data, move it to another to a supercomputer just to build the index? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. Um, I, I think actually like the hardware we are getting, it's getting so good that you can actually do that. And again, it's just like, um, it's, we can play other tricks because partially we only care about the data we have stored. We don't care less about the data which is not there yet, right? Generalization is, a, we have a different definition of, uh, definition of it or importance of it. Um, so because of that, we can play other tricks and this might help of building the multidimensional index. Uh, I should also say, for example, for the normal B-tree case in the, over a single column even, like what we do is like we train the model and we always compare that to um, the normal B-tree performance. And if you find that the B-tree, for example, in certain areas of a data set does better than our learned model, we can build a hybrid model. So the worst case performance becomes actually the same as the B-tree one. So, you're, you mentioned multidimensional indexes. So where do the other database components fall in your schedule, like sorting, query optimization, and joints? You mean like if you want to address them? Or yeah, yeah. Using uh, this learned, learned right. machine learning approach. Yeah, like uh, the sorting one, as you might guess, might be almost like a low-hanging fruit. So we are 
definitely right. Right. <laughs> trying that out. And then what about the, uh, so are you going to also at some point try to play around with kind of the non-analytic workload scenario? Yeah, like it, it's definitely on our to-do list, but maybe now given so much excitement about that, uh, around that idea, <laughs> maybe other people come in for us, but we will see. We are working, like we have definitely this agenda of different things we, we would like to tackle. Multidimensional indexes is very high on the list. Sorting is like pretty low hanging fruit and um, we definitely would like to try it out and how well it works. Transaction processing, I think there's, it's very interesting and it's definitely on our agenda as well. Look ahead five, 10 years. So what would the query optimizer or query optimization look at, uh, at that point, give, uh, assuming that this machine learning approach uh, works out? If this machine learning approach really works out, I think like, this might change the way on how all database systems are built today. And so so like, we can yeah. just we can just run dumb queries. It'll still run fast. Yeah, well, <laughs> hopefully, sure. Um, and so then, uh, actually, you know, to be honest, this means uh, less work, less need for DBA, right? Or does this mean your DBA starts working on other things, right? So it's an augmentation of. I was more thinking maybe the DBA uh, DBA becomes a machine learning expert. <laughs> Right, right. So, I mean, at some point, I, I wonder if instead of when you, when you look to the future, people will start building indexes and they might start thinking, well, you know, if we want to build this index, let's use this model instead of that model. So then the, <laughs> the choice will be the model. Yeah, that might be true. So like my, my still my hope is that like the, the system can figure out what model to use. But maybe if you want to have the best performance, you know your, your data very well. I can see it that like maybe uh, uh, the DBA machine learning expert chooses then a certain type of model to tune the index. Might be possible. What is the headline here? If you wanna, if you wanna gra uh, do a headline, this, is it uh, machine learning eats databases? <laughs> I, I found there like there was this like one Twitter headline. It's essentially like saying that like machine learning like changed the way on how core algorithms and data structures are built. And I think this is like currently still like the better analogy. Machine learning will eat databases. Maybe in the ten years, what you what you mentioned, maybe. Well, Tim Kraska, thank you for joining us today. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. You can follow Tim Kraska on Twitter at Tim underscore Kraska. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Mm -hmm.